Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Understanding that I'm not born to be a leader, I'm born to be a salesperson is the first acknowledgement of my imperfection in running teams. But I think I the best advice I have found is allowing them to all breathe their own way, but giving them guidance when they're ready to receive it. I used to take it on so much of wanting to help and show that I think it came off somewhat controlling and I wasn't good at, at communication and I wasn't patient enough. And I've learned over time that if they want it, they will hear it. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about business growth, leadership, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content for HW Media, which includes HousingWire and Real Trends. Today, I'd like to welcome Frances Katzen. She's a real estate agent with Douglas Elliman in New York City and also team leader of the Katzen team. She is ranked number 32 in New York State on the 2023 Real Trends America's Best uh, Rankings. So welcome, Frances. Thank you. Nice to be here, Tracy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, you have a fascinating background as a, a prima ballerina. Um, and, you know, you were only four, uh, 15, I think, when you moved from Australia to New York to um, study ballet at the School of American Ballet. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that journey and how it really informed your real estate career? Well, I think there's this old proverb that ballet dancers eat nails for breakfast. And I think <laughs> it's true. Um, I mean, I think we are our own worst enemy, which in a way is probably why we seek such perfectionistic outcomes. So I think the takeaway from that is don't eat nails for breakfast um, and the discipline to drive and complete something to its entirety and the commitment to really servicing it and not kind of just taking it and run, but actually making sure all the needs were met, um, I think is a curse and also a blessing in terms of people feeling really understood, heard, and looked after. And so when did you um, start in real estate? Why did you choose that as a career after dancing? Or maybe you were still dancing when you when you started in real estate. I'm not sure. So you tell me. It's a good, good distinction. I was actually with someone at the time who said I should get my um, real estate license uh, because we had some time off during one of our seasons. And I thought, well, I love architecture. I would love to understand the business of real estate. And so this would be a good entry point. And uh, so I went ahead and did that. And and then a couple of years later, I got quite injured and I drew upon that. And that's sort of what compelled me to, to take it and start it. But I'd actually done it on a time off in the season. Okay. And how, um, how many years have you been in real estate now? I started in real estate in 2006. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, and it's been a real growth. I mean, there's been some really interesting markets and there's been some really interesting characters, but I think it teaches you about who you are yeah. 
and your boundaries and how you want to roll. Yeah. So you started in real estate at a kind of a tricky time because then we went into, you know, just the great recession in that. Um, and right now the market's a little bit uncertain. So tell me, how did that prepare you for today? And, um, you know, any lessons learned that you can share? Trusting your markets, understanding that everything ebbs and flows, nothing stays the same. And that when there's, whenever there's an off put, there's always an opportunity. And that is the driver of New York. It's an opportunistic, it's Darwinism. It's survival of the fittest. It sort of clears out one sect and then another comes up. Um, you know, we right now we're seeing a capitulation in the sales market based on inflation and rates, mm -hmm. but it's also very opportunistic. If you can buy a luxury property that was technically running at six million and you can buy it at four, you're going to make it happen even if the rate's a little higher. Yeah. It's just because long-term play is the game. Yeah. Do you find that, um, you know, I know that there were tons of news stories about everybody's leaving New York, California, um, you know, New York City in particular, the COVID lockdowns were, were pretty strict. And, um, you know, how have you recovered from all of that? Because I feel like the market has definitely recovered in New York City. Great question. I think that during the, the pandemic, there was this natural want, want to disappear from tight populated places. And then I think there was this reality check of, well, I still have to show up at my office. I still have to put my kids in a decent school. And I do actually want to be in a place that has a social scene. It's kind of cut off for me. And I think ultimately that's been the deciding factor. A lot of people that move to Florida are coming back for the schools or coming back because they can't work remotely or because culturally they just felt it was lacking what they were used to. Um, and I think people who have been priced out of New York have definitely clapped their hands and said, oh, good, let's go. Because these are one of the main hubs. New York, Paris, and, and London are main hubs. It's never going to change that. No matter how much disaster happens it seems to hold its own and if anything has fortified that it has been COVID in my opinion yeah absolutely um and I know I want to kind of go back to the beginning of your career because um you had interviewed with one of our reporters last year and you said that you were in debt basically your first six months in real estate and then you got a break so tell me what was that break and and what was that like for you such a such a good memory you have um yes yeah, so I was hustling around you know, after scraps. Um, and there was a broker that was about to lose an exclusive. And my manager told me about it and introduced me to the owner. The owner didn't know me from a bar of soap. And I just said, look, I think you need to stage it. And he said, well, I don't have a budget for staging. So I literally schlepped my furniture from my own apartment in a, in a big van and put it into the apartment and I sold it. And it was a $2 million sale. And it was the largest apartment sale in the building at that time in Midtown West. And I remember the check and I just thought, wow, that's more than what I made as a professional soloist as a dancer. And I thought that's the reality check of real life outside of the arts because I never did anything for the money as a dancer. It was just about the, the joy of being able to get paid to do what I loved. And have you, do, are you still active in, that, in the ballet scene in New York City? I am, but I would just lo loosely say I'm peripheral. Um, I enjoy seeing it. I don't miss it. I do miss having a body that can move and doesn't hurt. Um, I do try, try is the operative word, in actually doing a dance class. It actually hurts more 
if you don't move your body. But it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since you basically grew up dancing. Do you find yourself involved in more like charitable, you know, that are related, charitable activities that are related? I work with American Ballet Theatre. Um, that's something I'm, I'm very interested in sort of chairing more of. Um, but other than that, it's no, it's really been raising support for that company and that's it. I haven't really gone too far out at this time, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your team. Um, tell me a little bit about how you structure your team and, um, you know, how it evolved through the years. I think I learned very early on that in order to have a successful business, my business coach at the time said, you need to delegate. And I said, no, no, no. What sells is how I speak to it. And I try, and he said, get over it. And I was like, I can't, they're hiring me. But what I learned is that I can position it. I can show the second showing, but I have to allow people to breathe into the business. So I always knew I couldn't type. I always knew I wasn't going to be very good at the the paperwork. So I always had someone to do that for me because I'd been on a stage my whole life and I just didn't have that acumen. So I had an assistant who basically helped me do the things that I couldn't do well so I could go out and sell. I learned to delegate and I started with two brokers at the time who were supposed to be my mentor. And in the end, it became, they worked with me on my team and um, who had a business background and was fantastic at all of the logistics and would help me with the sweat equity. And then from there it grew. And I think the more we did, the more we were able to retain really solid people. And I, and I, it wasn't about bodies. It was always about the quality and the caliber of the people that we were bringing in so that an owner would never feel that they had a lackey or someone that didn't actually know what they were doing. So I really stand by that business model. We have eight, nine agents. One, we have a a division in Florida now. We're looking to expand into another segment of Texas And we work in the Hamptons and we do a lot in the city. And I think you have to have the right group of people to represent the brand. And I think that comes with time. Okay. And so what are some of the challenges that you find running a team? Understanding that I'm not born to be a leader. I'm born to be a salesperson is the first acknowledgement of my imperfection in running teams. But I think the best advice I have found is allowing them to all breathe their own way. Um, but giving them guidance when they're ready to receive it. I used to take it on so much of wanting to help and show that I think it came off somewhat controlling and I wasn't good at, at communication and I wasn't patient enough. And I've learned over time that if they want it, they will hear it. And having to let that be enough as part of allowing people to come into their own more. Yeah, I think that is definitely a um, leadership maturity. And I don't mean age-wise of the leader. I mean how long the person has been leading. That, um, you know, I mean, I guess there are people born to lead, but you learn so much through the process. And uh, you also learn from the leaders that you've had what you want and what you don't want, um, you know, and, and controlling and micromanaging it can be a really difficult situation. Very, very different personalities. None of my agents are me, which I like. Everyone's got their own sound and feel. And I love that. 
Yeah, definitely. And so talk to me a little bit about um, how you work your feet, because you have obviously Florida, Texas, you have some feeder markets. How are you working um, kind of lead generation in those markets? They're different for different segments. I have developers in Texas that I'm in communication with, and this has not come together yet. Um, Excuse me. New York is really a mixture of new dev and um, resale. And so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but those leads are coming from many different sources, referral, marketing, broker to broker, you know, uh, raw leads through our listings, through the databases of other brokerage, third-party vendors. And then in Florida, you know, I had an agent that really wanted to be a part of our brand, but be down there. And we got her on a phenomenal development and she's been able to capitalize and really build that into her and our team's business. And it's just been flourishing really consistently. So I think it's a combination of knowing which, which market you're selling in and how best to capitalize it. And I just want to add one thing to the team idea, which is I think when you have such diverse people, the best thing you can do is cultivate their ability to trust their gut so that they don't feel that they need help, but actually just confidence in trusting their own gut. I think that's the difference of trying to be punitive or versus growing them, you know? Yeah. And how much of that do you think came from your dance too, and just the discipline and drive necessary to, you know, really be good at your craft? I think I just wanted, I think... I was a little bit insecure because I didn't get to do a degree. I didn't get to go to college. And I think I was really insecure that I wasn't smart enough because I didn't get to go, that I felt somewhat like dumb trying to do a new job and not really feel like I was prepared that I didn't go to college. Even though I had danced my entire career, it just didn't, I didn't have anything to show for it. So coming into this new world, I really wanted to learn it. And not just the transactional component, but the advisory level, value proposition, long-term hold, performance, you know, the profit and loss development. I I really wanted to own it. And I think, I'm sorry, the question was, sorry. (laughs) Um, Just how you're, how you're, you know, I mean, to be good as a prima ballerina, you have to have a lot of discipline and drive and ambition. And, you know, you tend to want to be around people who are the same, they're drivers. And and what you said is you're hiring a team of different personalities and that's a good thing. Um, And and where, where did you kind of figure that out to, you know, like manage at a level that reaches everyone, I guess. It's a great, so, so although they're all diverse, they all have one very consistent personality trait they are drivers, they are hungry, they do have discipline, and they are smart. These are not dumb people. These are not order takers. These are very much fully formed human beings who are electing to be a part of this team. And so with that in mind, I think there's a lot of agency to that. And I think the discipline of dancing is showing them by demonstration that I don't wave my hands and not do it. I'm in there with them. I'm cold calling. I'm showing up. It's a it's it's lead by model. I model it. And so there can be no complaining, right? They're like, I, I have one agent who said to me the other day, I don't know how you do this. And you have two kids. I don't know how you I said, you, you just do. 
So I think they're beginning to realize that you can actually really run a book of business and manage it and build it and grow it and cultivate it and sustain it all in about a 30 second span. You can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any um, specific coaches or trainers that you really um, use or? I, I would say the most profound coach that I have ever worked with is Dave Worth, who works in California, um, San Diego. Unbelievable. Um, and I have a business manager now, Joel Epstein, who I think is a genius. And the two of them have collectively picked me up and taken me from a reactive manager to a much more re, um, a much more centered management, which allows everyone to, you know, I thought I was running through with a shield protecting and people like running, thinking I'm, you know, throwing bombs on their heads. So I think it's what we think we're doing is great. And it's not really that at all. Um, so I think there's a lot of change in these past years that have propelled us to be number two in the company. I, I mean, we let go of that and it just came. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is, is so interesting just because I've seen that evolution in, in myself and in other people as well and kind of mirror, try to mirror, you're never perfect. You never do everything right, but try to mirror some of that, um, you know, positive leadership abilities and, and try to bring people up with, you know, rather than push them down, I think it's so important. I have to catch myself because I'm so perfectionistic, my poor EA, but I, I think I'm learning to have a lot more gratitude in those moments to hold it back from being, well, we didn't do this, you know, and I'm being honest about it because I think people really, you know, try to cover it, but I think it's really important to own it so that you can clean it up. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much you are into technology. So I do have some questions. And if they're not really, um, you know, up your alley, you can let me know. But I, you know, I just kind of find that this type of a market really spurs innovation. And I just wondered if you're seeing any trends, maybe it's not related to technology, maybe it's related to sales and marketing. Um, anything that you're seeing that that is different or is really helping you with your business? I mean, chat GBT is definitely one of the AI segments that's either agents like it or they don't. I'm fascinated by it. It freaks me out. We've used it for write-ups, for trending descriptions, for, you know, it's it's brilliant, but it's bizarre. It's just so bizarre because I'm such a hands-on person. Um, I think it's good as long as you can control it. Otherwise, I think it starts to not be the personality of the person that's selling. Yeah. 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 It definitely lacks personality. Um, you know, there's, it, you almost need to do a, an outline or something first and then fill it in with who you are. Um, you know, it's, but I, I have found like a lot of agents and brokers are using it for a, a kind of a, outline of a marketing plan or an outline of a business plan. And then they're filling in their own specific details and things like that. Are you using it for anything um, like that? I haven't been using it for that. No, we have, we meet um, twice a month, my team and we go through and they're doing their business work with my business manager so that everybody's held accountable to their goals in terms of their numbers. And then we back into that and we look at where they are and where their deals are and what's going on. Um, but no, I don't, I don't 
use it for that, but I'm sure you could. We have CRMs, which are really great, I think, too. The good old sweat equity of hustling is the way yeah. we do it. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of the tech companies are building the chat GPT into some of their their platforms and, and that right now, too. So that'll be interesting how it evolves. I'll be interested in taking a look. I just think that it's it scares me a little bit. I, me, too. So I'm going to go back to leadership again. And, you know, I think that most, well, all leaders have this aha moment where maybe they're stuck and they realize, oh, oh, that, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to get out of this. What was your, you know, most memorable aha moment and um, how did it impact you? I think they come in waves. (laughs) Um, I think the first one was during covid when I really had to look at what a team meant to me and I basically cut and let go of nearly half of my team because I realized that what I was trying to build was not going to nourish what I was growing. And I, the person, Dave Worth was like, it's time to change the whole thing, bring it, get rid of the optics and let's go from scratch. And it was so confronting on many levels of my ego that I was really, that was the aha moment of quality, not quantity. And then hiring my business manager now. So I don't have to get caught in the weeds and things that I'm not really comfortable doing and shouldn't be doing based on my skill set or my personality. And I think those two have allowed the retention and not the retention, but the caliber of communication to exist where people are getting their needs met in a way. I think it's very hard when you run a fast and busy team to make sure everybody's getting their needs met and still have time to do the business. So I think if you set up systems where you have someone coming in and checking in individually and giving them the time, that's not to say I don't give them the time. I'm very available, but I think it's a different need. I think you land up being able to slam dunk running a team much more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so what was that kind of decision based on? Um, you know, be more, give me a more specifics. What were you trying to accomplish that the team that you had wasn't, um, you know, the structure you had really wasn't working for you? I didn't know how to track effectively the consistency and the methodology of production, asking questions in a way that made the agent not feel that they were under interrogation. <laughs> You know, and and it's as simple as that. And I wanted someone who could hold them accountable in a way that felt good. I don't want to be that, but I'm running a business. I have a P&L. So it's the idea that there is, you know, I had an amazing, a very talented agent who's with me, and she was letting go of a tech job to come to my team and was so nervous of letting go of that paycheck. And, of course, now she is crushing it. And I said to her, one of the most effective drivers to make money in this business is fear. (laughs) When you have no parachute, you just make it happen. And she has exceeded. She's already passed her goal for the year. So I think she's surprised by how effective she is. And I think that's a testament to the bigger idea of this, which is having someone to hold the mirror up and say, okay, these are the things we would suggest. If you execute them, I'm fairly confident you can hit it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and my next question is really like inspiration and motivation. Do you listen to any podcasts, have any books that you're reading, anything that that really drives you? Um, maybe it's not less leadership in real estate and more 
you know, personal that motivates you? I would say that it's a combination of reading, but more sort of self-help stuff, um, but also overcoming limitations by um, journaling and sort of really kind of getting into the nitty gritty of what holds us back. There are no specific books anymore that I am using to keep me going. I think um, just the drive in me is what makes it virtually impossible for me to not be driven. And that's how I roll. I mean, I get inspired by the people that I work with. That's actually what turns me on. It's the, it's these amazing people that come into my sphere who choose me. And then we have this amazing experience of getting it done and it's and not always perfect, but I think that's, it's the, it's the connection of that I find to be um, enjoyable. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree. Um, you know, people in general are inspiring no matter whether they're working with you, working um for you or you know, they're friends and that. Um you can find a lot of inspiration just in your own circle. So, yeah. I think so. And I think I I'm sorry I don't have a more black and white answer. Um I just that's been, you know, whether I'm working with the CEO of one of the biggest tech funds, I find that really cool. And we talk about his world and I So there's that kind of experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My final question is just what advice do you have for real estate agents who are really struggling to take their business to the next level? I hear that question a lot. And the question I would have back to them is, are you willing to be uncomfortable? Because in order for you to take it to the next level, you have to let go of control and, and realize there are things you just may not be doing that you need to do that you may not even think you want to do or agree with. And I think it's being coachable and don't give up ever. And you have to declare what you want. You have to know, you can't just say, I want to make a million dollars. You have to break it down. You have to do 30 deals at a million five in a year to get that number. So you need to be working with seven leads a month, closing one and a half to two. You need to back into it. So it's really crystal clear. So you know, if that means that you have to be doing $6.3 million worth of business a week, I don't know, that's your number. So you have to really simplify it and get really clear and go through it. Um, but to grow your business to the next level, I also think you have to spend money to make money. You have to be willing to invest in it and, and really show up for it. And yes, you may not have the money, but you can't afford not to unless you want to stay where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Um Francis, thank you so much for joining the Real Trending podcast and congratulations on all of your success. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment and we will see you next week with more news and insights.